When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Was the pod before Christmas and all through the league, a big weekend was brewing filled with fun and intrigue. A huge slate of games with playoff potential makes week 16 football viewing essential. Okay. No, I can't, I can't do the whole show in poem form, but hi, Hey, welcome to the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. I hope you are settling in. If not for a long winter's nap, then at least for uh, a fantastic Christmas weekend, a fantastic week 16 in the NFL. That's what we do here. We are here to preview week 16 of the NFL season, take you through the Christmas weekend. We got games on Christmas Eve. We got games on Christmas Day. We're going to break it all down for you. We got Dolphins, Cowboys. We got the big one on Christmas night. Obviously, the Baltimore Ravens traveling to face the San Francisco 49ers. We got Cleveland against Houston. We got Jacksonville against Tampa Bay. Games with playoff implications galore. So much to get to. We will do all of that. Obviously, we are going to start, as we always do, Thursday night football. The Los Angeles Rams beat the New Orleans Saints by a score of 30 to 22, getting our playoff do or die football going early. This was a game between two playoff contenders in the NFC. The final score says 30 to 22. This was a game that was nowhere near as close as that final score looks. The New Orleans Saints rally for 15 unanswered points at the end, but with 12 and change to play in the fourth quarter, they were down 30 to seven here at SoFi Stadium in the LA area. The Rams were never in danger of letting this slip. They pile up 460 yards of offense. Matthew Stafford throws for 330. Puka Nakua goes off for 180 all purpose. Had 16 on the ground, picked up a really crucial first down there at the end of the game to make sure it didn't get dicey. Kyron Williams went for 104 and a touchdown, becoming the first Rams running back to rush for 1,000 yards in a season since Todd Gurley in 2018. All in all, just a banner night for an LA Rams team that just continues to be very, very hot. Not what I would call an entertaining game, unless you're becoming a bit of a Rams fan like yours truly right here. They have won five of six since Matthew Stafford came back from that injury in November. And the one loss in that stretch was in overtime to the mighty Ravens, the 11 win Ravens got everything they could handle from the LA Rams and LA has beaten everybody else they've played. This was billed here on this show. This was billed as a, as a showdown two playoff hopefuls two evenly matched teams fighting it out to see who improves their playoff standing and who is on life support. And, and the new Orleans saints just never really looked like they belonged in this game. They get one explosive deep shot play to Rashid Shahid in the first half 
that's about as close as it ever came to being interesting until this thing was out of hand. And I mean, good for you. You put up some garbage time points. I don't really care about it. As a, as a result, saints playoff hopes tumble to just 22%. The wild card hopes. I said it in the preview show, whatever path they had to the postseason as a wild card, it looks non-existent right now for the saints. If they're going to make the postseason, it's all about the NFC South division title from here on out, which thanks to how bad that division is not out of the realm of possibility. They'll go home. They get the weekend off. They wait and watch to see what happens with Tampa Bay against Jacksonville and the saints play the bucks next weekend in Tampa Bay. So plenty left to play for, for the saints. But if you're a saints fan, I don't blame you for saying like, yeah, do we really care that much? Maybe we worry about the draft pick more than anything else, but we'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, the Rams playoff hopes jump up to a very nice 69% according to the New York times. You got to admit things are looking really good for the Rams, not just the way they played in this game. They get the New York giants next and they wrap up the season with a San Francisco team that Let's be honest, the Niners might not have anything to play for by the time that game rolls around. At this rate, I think you'd have to call it a surprise and a disappointment if the Rams fail to make the postseason, which is a pretty cool spot for a team that was projected at about six wins over the summer to be in. Between Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, throw in Byron Young, Ernest Jones on the defense, shout out my horn frog, Steve Avila, on the offensive line. The Rams have found the next wave of talent way faster than anybody gave them credit for. And all the old stars, whether it's Stafford, Donald cup, all those guys still playing. Like we remember Stafford in particular is playing some of the best football of his career, which is saying a lot. And I just like watching this team play. I don't know what else to say. I don't think you want anything to do with them if they get into the postseason, and it's looking like they will. So hats off to the Rams. They bolster their playoff odds. They are the first of many teams with playoff odds at stake this weekend. We will get into all of that in just a minute, but a nice, fun, decisive victory for the LA Rams. Nowhere near as close as the eight point margin would have you believe. All right. That's enough for Thursday. Let's move it to Sunday, Christmas Eve, week 16, a busy Sunday. So many games with playoff implications, but none bigger than the matchup between two 10 win teams happening down in Miami, Florida, the Dallas Cowboys traveling to face the Miami dolphins. Two teams have had wildly successful seasons and yet looking for just a little bit more. Each team really looking to prove their playoff credentials. Cowboys coming off of a really humbling loss against the Buffalo bills. Miami beats the New York jets badly last week, but the theme for their season is the win against the contender has been elusive all year long. They lose to the bills. They lose to the Eagles. They lose to the chiefs. Now they play the Dallas Cowboys looking for that feather to put in their cap. Cowboys looking to rebound from a bad loss against the dolphins division rivals. Can't wait for this one. Obviously it's one that we're going to use some help in our preview. Who better to talk to about it than my guy, Henry McKenna, Fox sports, AFC East writer joining me now to talk all things fins and Cowboys. All right, Henry, let's start with something really obvious. There's 16 dudes on the dolphins practice report that are either uh, limited or not practicing 
completely. I know there's there's plenty of time until kickoff, but I mean, how how healthy exactly are the Dolphins right now? Yeah, we'll have a clearer picture today, Thursday, and and clearest on Friday, I'd say. McDaniel is not one to give too much information on injuries. I mean, he'll he'll say things here and there. Like last week, he said that Tyree Kill was was a tough game time decision. Same with safety Deshaun Elliott, uh, and I believe Xavier Howard was another one that was sort of a game time decision, right? But um, then you add in the fact that the entire offensive starting offensive line was on the injury report today, or excuse me, on Wednesday. And so all of a sudden things are um, looking a little dicey, I'd say, for this quick passing attack. You kind of need one or the other. You need Tyreek Hill or you need the offensive line, right? Tyreek opens up the quick passing game in a different at a different level. The offensive line protects to uh, if the quick passing game isn't there because Tyreek's still hurt. So um, at the very least, they need a healthy offensive line or Tyreek, uh, presuming like obviously that not every single offensive line starters hurt. That's and the offensive line is exactly where I'm going with this because I'm, I think everybody in the world knows what Tyreek Hill can do. I like, there's not a whole lot to break down there, but the Dolphins, for all the love we give them for the passing game, their their running game has been fantastic at times this season. Not as great against the New York Jets last week, and I'm like, I'm, I'm obviously bringing this up because of what the Buffalo Bills did to the Dallas Cowboys the other day. I think that's going to be something that that is focused on until the Cowboys prove that they can be a little bit better against the run. I mean, giving up 266 yards on the ground not sustainable for anybody, let alone a team that has, you know, high, high aspirations. Where do you see this Dolphins running game being? I mean, it's not just the offensive line. Devon HN is also dealing with, I think, a toe injury. So where do things stand with, with how well the Dolphins are running the ball right now? Yeah, they're a good rushing attack uh, and they'll be more committed to the run against the Cowboys, not just because the Bills were committed and successfully beat the Cowboys basically with a one-dimensional offense, often with the exact same play uh, over and over again. Sure um, did. <laughs> so the Dolphins, I think um, they should be okay. I mean, I guess it really comes down to how many of these offensive linemen ultimately play. There's no doubt Teron Armstead, for example, the left tackle, not only is he protecting technically to his front side because to his lefty, uh, but also he is an instrumental part of their, their run game. I mean, he's, he's one of their best run blockers. So we always think of left tackles as being, you know, important for the passing game, but he is, as you're pointing out as instrumental, you know, in the other element of their offensive attack. So I think the game plan for Mike McDaniel will be run forward I don't know if as a play caller, he's as disciplined as Joe Brady was in that, like Sean McDermott made a great point this week. He was like, it's one thing for a, a play caller to see that something's working and call it a few times. It's another thing entirely for a play caller to have the discipline to stick with the run game when something like play action might be tempting, right? Cause it's like you use, you use this run, run, run. And even if you see it working, a lot of play callers will start going back to the play action. And I know Mike McDaniel is the perfect example of a guy who just cannot get away from his passing attack. He loves it. 
And uh, Joe Brady was very disciplined as a play caller. And if the offensive line is healthy, you want to see that same discipline from Mike McDaniel really forcing the Cowboys to defend what is arguably, maybe even not arguably, the best rushing attack in the NFL in, in Miami. I think that's a really wonderful point that, yeah, like just having the the patience to stick with something that's working, even if there's 20 things in your bag that you want to get to. And I wonder, I'm, I know coaches and players would push back on this, but it is a big storyline in this game. You wrote about it for us at Fox sports this week is just this, this idea that has really followed both of these teams that they can't win the big, the big one. And, you know, Dallas got the win against Philly a couple weeks ago. So, so maybe people are going a little easier on them, but Miami, this is still that narrative. And Mike McDaniel's talking about, you know, I I gave my players permission to tell y'all to F off and and all that fun stuff. Do you see, and again, going back to like the play calling aspect of this, is there, I mean, surely the Dolphins want to try to impress people with this opportunity, even if they don't admit that. I'm sure they would love to. Yeah, and it's interesting the Dolphins specifically, this this big game theory, this big uh, this big game deficit that they have. Now their best win is against the Denver Broncos when the Denver Broncos were zero three. So keep that in mind. Like the Cowboys, at least they have one trophy on their shelf for the season. The the Dolphins ha- have no impressive wins. Uh, they've just done an amazing job of beating uh, worst teams. It's kind of incredible, like that. You, you look at the Bills, for example, they are so all over the place. There's no, there's no, you can't make sense of any of their wins or losses. It's just nonsense. The, the Dolphins are very <laughs> like cut and dried. It's like they beat teams for the most part that are worse than them. They lose to teams for the most part that so far we can only determine are better than them. Um, like both of you, I think, think that they still have a shot. You and I, excuse me, have I think they have a shot to be dangerous in the postseason. We've thought we've said that since before the season started, but um, they haven't really. I mean, you, there's no real basis. Uh, and but when you look at the numbers between big games and in games that are against worse teams, you see the offense is as consistent as they can be. They're they're putting right. up. Uh, rather than the first most points like they currently are, uh, they're they're scoring total drops a little bit, but it's it's still against these over 500 teams. It would still be good for second best in the NFL if if we just isolated those games of above 500 teams that the Dolphins have played. So that should be enough to win, right? So what's going wrong here? They're safe with the football. It's it's at about the same take uh, giveaway ratio. Well. Let's talk to Vic Fangio, the Dolphins defensive coordinator, because he's the one that is coming up short. His unit is the one that's coming up short. The Dolphins pass defense is the one that is most substantially different. They are letting up 100 more passing yards per game against these above 500 teams. Uh, I'd have to revisit the points per game total. I honestly forgot it since yesterday, but it's a substantially different number of, of how many points they're allowing per game. And that's where these big ga- games are. I can I can help you them. with that, Henry. Thank I, you. I, yeah. I can, are against teams below 500. The Dolphins are allowing 16 against teams above 500. It's 30. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, you're a, a double in the production allowed by this defense. 
So it's it's a totally different defense. And, uh, you know, I think you can't just say it's injuries because, you know, I think they're going to get healthier this week. They might have Javon Holland back, uh, but he's got NMCL sprains in both of his knees, which is crazy. Uh, and then we talked about, you know, Xavier Howard and Deshaun Elliott um, starters in their secondary. And that's, I mean, past defense weaknesses, past defensive starters aren't there. Um, it's an obvious correlation. So it will be interesting. This past defense in Dallas, past offense in Dallas is like, sensational obviously Dak Prescott until last week was an MVP candidate probably could be one with another week good week this week um but I'm fascinated to see how that defense holds up because I think the offense will find a way Mike McDaniel will find a way to put up points the defense we have seen historically has found a way to fail and and let its offense down well, let me ask you this because and look I mean I I came on the show last week and I'm not saying I thought for sure Dallas was going to beat Buffalo, but I damn sure thought they were going to put up more than 10 points. And seven of those 10 came when the game was not close. And so my, my question for you is, do you think the Dolphins can pressure Dak consistently with four? Because I think that was, that was the key for Sean McDermott is Buffalo's defensive line ate Dallas for lunch. And I mean, sure. Part of that is that Zach Martin left that game early, but even, even with Zach Martin in there, I'm not sure how much of a difference it makes. And when you can do that, the way that the bills just clogged all those throwing lanes with guys dropped in coverage, it was, it was gross and, and clearly it worked. So I wonder, can Miami replicate that success with, with Bradley Chubb and some of those other guys? Yeah. Well, speaking of injuries, Jalen Phillips, Torres ACL, he's out for the I believe ACL or Achilles, but season ending injury. Is Achilles, yeah. Achilles. Um, and so season ending injury there. They've had uh Brad or they've had Bradley Chubb the whole season and, and sort of in replacement of Phillips, they've got Van Ginkle and uh Manuel Agba. So sort of a one-two punch, I'd say, on the other edge. And then in the interior is Christian Wilkins, who's actually playing probably better than any of the players I just mentioned. Uh, he is as dominant of a defensive tackle as there is in the NFL at this exact moment. So I would say with those names, um, the Dolphins can get good pressure. What the Bills have that the Dolphins don't have is depth. The Bills can go almost eight deep when they're fully healthy. Now, I think last week they didn't have A.J. Epinesa, so they, they weren't eight deep. And I believe Jordan Phillips might have gotten injured in the game. So diminished slightly but but the point stands is like when you have eight players that you can play on that defensive line and the the offensive line is getting exhausted by the end of the game and you're filtering in pass rushers pass rushers pass rushers it's a it's a huge advantage uh from a fitness standpoint and von miller for example is playing a very small number of snaps right now because he's still getting healthy but but notice when Sean McDermott is deploying Von Miller, it's at these crucial moments of the game where he can potentially change it. So I want to see whether this Dolphins defense can do exactly what you're saying. Uh, what I worry about maybe is if it's a close game at the end of the game, whether they may not have the legs to really put away the Cowboys and whether that pass, pass offense might light up a little bit more than they were able to do against Buffalo. 
at the very least, let's hope for a more entertaining game, right? Like yes. I think the the, the expectation yeah. the expectation in Buffalo was like high twenties, low thirties, and I mean Buffalo got there to their credit, but not so much on the Dallas side. So at the very least, I'm hoping for a more entertaining game. I think it's it's worth mentioning Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle again. Stephon Gilmore played the game of his life against AJ Brown a couple year a couple weeks ago, excuse me. But uh, this duo, you know, as many interceptions as the Cowboys might have, Deron Bland might have this season. I do think this, of course, it's a mismatch. It's a mismatch for every team in the league, uh, provided Tua Tungavailoa has enough time to throw, which it seems like he always does, right? Yeah, he's fastest uh, time to throw in the NFL right now. Uh, so they figure out how to get the ball right out of his hands. Okay. I, like I said, let's just, we'll just say a, a Christmas prayer for, for a more entertaining game with the Cowboys yeah. sticking in the AFC East. One last thing before I get you out of here, we we've talked a good bit about the Buffalo bills this uh, in this interview, they head out here to LA over the weekend to play the LA chargers. I mean, this, it, it almost feels like preordained that Buffalo is is going to keep winning and set up some dramatic game with the Dolphins at the end of the season. Am I getting ahead of myself? Like, are is it is it that straightforward for the Bills? I mean, I, I just can't imagine a way that they slip up, at least not this week, against the Easton Stick Chargers. Yeah, look, the Bills' schedule is, is favorable. Uh, you, you've got... The Chargers, you know, the, the one thing that I worry about with Easton Stick and his fierce Chargers is they did change their head coach, uh, you know, over the last, what was it, 10 days or something. So teams do have a habit of coming out strong after a head coach firing. I would be much, much, much more worried about this L.A. team about beating Buffalo if Justin Herbert were in the lineup. And and with Easton Sick looked so bad. I, for example, I know nobody cares about my fantasy team, but Austin <laughs> Eckler and uh, Keenan Allen were absolutely carrying my dynasty league uh, into the, the playoffs of deep league. Those guys totally lost me my championship. So uh, Easton Stick really killed me there. Dude, um, this is this is a season from hell in that regard where you're just yeah. like, you know, you're like, oh, I've got Justin Jefferson, but should I start him if Nick Mullins right. is throwing him the yeah. ball? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know nobody cares about our fantasy teams, but I feel your pain. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it has been affecting me on a personal level how bad Easton Stick has been. I get it. And I don't think that they can pull it off, but it's just something it, you know, it does look a tiny bit like a trap game. Just a little bit. Uh, very cocky looking Bills team taking down a lot of the games that they needed to, it would be extremely Bills. Like Sean McDermott's Bills, they do this. Just when you think that they have turned the corner, they let you, you down. Can you imagine, look, I mean, think about how low the vibes were in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago. Like, you know, the the story about Sean McDermott's coaching practices that right. Ty Dunn put out and there's just a there's drama every other day and now you know now the vibes are immaculate everybody's happy right. like like i said it feels like the bills spot in the playoffs is a formality at this point they lose this game it's gonna be gross in buffalo i just yeah. I, I i don't see it happening but look that's that's for you and me to say certainly the bills can't afford to approach it that way so 
We'll see how they do. We will see somebody, whether it's Dallas or Miami, one of them is going to have a big win against a playoff caliber team. We'll see who it is. And Henry, I'm sure we'll check in with you about it, man. I appreciate the time as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Cowboys-Dolphins pretty easily the biggest game of the actual weekend, but Week 16 is one where we're literally saving the best for last easily. The biggest game of the weekend is the very last one, the Christmas Day finale. It's 49ers. It's Ravens. It's the two best records in the NFL, arguably the two most dominant teams in the league going at each other to wrap this whole thing up. Just remember, all weekend, your family's driving you crazy. The dinner gets overcooked. You get socks for Christmas. All of it doesn't matter. Just think ahead and say, at the end of this, I get to watch Baltimore, San Francisco, just the fourth time since the 1970 merger that the best record in the NFC is going up against the best record in the AFC this late in the season. It's only happened three other times that two teams this good from opposite sides of the league have played in week 16 or later. It happened in 05 Seahawks Colts. It happened in 97. 49ers Broncos happened all the way back in 1979, the Eagles and the Oilers. So it really is rare territory. And whereas Dallas and Miami might be looking for a win that makes people respect them. I'm not sure what else the Niners and the Ravens could do. Niners are obviously rolling over everybody, particularly since their bye week. They are five and three this season against teams that are currently in the playoff field. The Ravens arguably more accomplished than that in their, in addition to just their 11 wins, they are six and two against teams that are currently part of the playoff field. That's probably why Ravens say they feel a tad bit disrespected. They are five and a half point underdogs at Levi's stadium out in the Bay area. This one, I mean, this, this one's got everything. The, the narrative speaks for itself on a team level, on the individual level, Brock Purdy, obviously currently the easy betting favorite to win NFL MVP. But after last weekend, Lamar Jackson moves into second place right behind him. So the winner of this game could have a big leg up with MVP voters. Brock Purdy might be able to put a hand on the award. If he wins this game, if he gets a, if he has a big game here and the Niners improve to 12 and three, first of all, even with just a win, they go so far toward locking up the number one overall seed in the NFC. They could actually get it this week. If they get a win and they get the right results, if Dallas, Philly, Detroit all lose, San Francisco could have home field advantage locked up with two whole weeks to play. Feels a little bit unlikely, but it is theoretically possible when you factor in Purdy's performance with the record of the team. Yeah, he wins this game and he plays well doing so. Still enough time to say maybe not guaranteed, but man, it would feel like he would be very, very close to locking up that award. What what haven't these teams done? It speaks for itself. This is a matchup of the number one overall offense in DVOA. That's San Francisco. 
the number two overall defense in DVOA. That's Baltimore. I feel like that is the matchup that that gets the headlines, and that's where I want to focus this preview. But even on the other side, Baltimore is fourth overall in offensive DVOA. San Francisco, fourth overall in defensive DVOA. So wherever you look here, there's intrigue. Like I said, even in a matchup with this much star power, though, I'm focused on this San Francisco offense, one of the most explosive and efficient we've ever seen going against the Ravens defense. Shout out to my buddy, Nate Tice, for this one. He put this in his article, The Overhang on Yahoo Sports this week. 49ers are averaging an explosive play. That's a play of 20 plus yards. 16.3% of the time. It, it's going for that big of a chunk. 16.3% of the time they're tied with the 2001 St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf for how often they're blowing up with explosive plays. They're 69% on the season. Very nice in the red zone, 10 of 10 in their last three games. That's, that's why they're winning games by scores of 45, 29, 43 to 19, 42 to 19, whatever it was in Philadelphia. Nobody's been able to keep them out of the end zone for the better part of a month. If you go back four games, 13 of 14, when they get inside the opponent's 20 yard line, that's the efficiency. This 49ers team is moving with. That's how hard they are to contain. And that's why typically when I talk about a matchup to watch, you're talking player on player unit on unit, but here I'm just fascinated to see what Ravens defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald can do to not just slow down the talent on the 49ers offense, but to slow down the way that Kyle Shanahan wants to scheme it. If that's even possible, what weakness does a guy like Mike McDonald look to if you're trying to hold the 49ers down McDonald, he's, he's on the short list of best coordinators this season. He's done a phenomenal job with this Ravens defense. My guess is when the time comes here in a few weeks, he's going to get a lot of looks to be an NFL head coach moving forward. And especially so it, it, call it a, a cherry on the Sunday. If he can come up with a formula to hold the 49ers short of even 30 points, shoot, even 40 points, the way they've been playing recently, it would be really, really impressive. What I want to look at is, is the battle in the trenches and how you might, I hate to say exploit it, but how you might look to take advantage of that very quietly. If there's a weakness on the 49ers offense, I would say it's probably their offensive line very quietly, not as wonderful as you might think outside of the obvious, which is that Trent Williams is the best left tackle in football. Nobody's knocking big Trent, but the rest of this offensive line could potentially be taken advantage of right tackle. Colton McKivitz has allowed 36 pressures this year, five sacks, according to pro football focus, right guard, Spencer Burford, 26 pressures, three sacks. I think those are matchups you can win, particularly as good as the Ravens have been at getting to the quarterback this season. Defensive tackle Justin Matabike having the season of his life. 12 sacks on the interior in a contract year. Nice work, my guy. But McDonald is also phenomenal at bringing pressure from a variety of different looks. That's that's the impressive thing about the Ravens is all season long, they haven't had that dominant edge that can't be blocked, a la Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Micah Parsons. They do it from a variety of different places in the lineup from a variety of different positions. They got all sorts of guys chiming in. How do the 49ers deal with that? Can their offensive line handle it? Do they have to run out of, you know, condensed formations to try to add help? Do they have to use those playmakers, whether it's getting into bigger personnel, a guy like Kyle Juszczyk playing a role in that 
George Kittle, obviously a phenomenal blocking tight end. What is the chess match there? How do you combat the different ways the Ravens like to bring pressure on top of that? Two of the the best, most versatile defenders in the league this year, both play for Baltimore. Big piece of Mike McDonald's success. Obviously, all everything linebacker Roquan Smith, but also safety Kyle Hamilton, who I'm going to guess right now is headed to his first Pro Bowl this season in his second year. Incredibly good players, incredibly versatile players. I would imagine they're going to contribute a lot in the coverage aspect of this. What does Mike McDonald do with Hamilton? When you think about the options in this 49ers attack, whether it's Kittle, whether it's Debo, where do you deploy a guy like that? How does Roquan Smith play into this? Do either one of them contribute to the pressure element? They, both both guys have have rushed the quarterback at times. I wouldn't say it's what they do predominantly, but they can do it. Maybe you try to add that in to confuse. I hate to call Brock Purdy a young quarterback, but he still is a young quarterback. Maybe Mike McDonald is capable of throwing a look at him that breaks his processor down. That's been his strength throughout his career as he can see through that. But I do think this Ravens defense is capable of throwing him a curveball or two. So I'm talking a lot about one side of the ball. I get it. Lamar Jackson is an MVP candidate in his own right. The Ravens receiver core is as good as it's been in years. They've gotten the job done phenomenally here over the last couple of weeks. I would point out, just like I mentioned, the 49ers efficiency in the red zone, inefficiency in the red zone could sink the Ravens here. They're 10th in the league in red zone percentage on the season, but it's much worse over the last three games, just four touchdowns in their last 10 trips. Remember, Against Jacksonville, it felt like they settled for a field goal every other time they got the ball. They do that here against this team. It might bite them. So, yes, the Ravens offense is plenty capable. Yes, the 49ers defense is plenty good. But I think the matchup that decides this thing is the Ravens defense going against Kyle Shanahan's offense and who wins that battle. I know the Ravens feel disrespected, and I get it. They're an incredibly good team. I hesitate at the people calling this a Super Bowl preview because football is just weird and and the playoffs aren't that easy. I don't think it's a lock that either one of these teams makes the Super Bowl. But would you really be that surprised if that is, in fact, the matchup here in another six weeks? I wouldn't. And that's what and, and on top of that, as impressive as the Ravens have been, as disrespected as they might feel, I'm going to roll with the 49ers at home. Five and a half points is a big spread in a game like this, but I think the Niners can win this game by five, six, seven points at home. And yeah, if this is a potential Super Bowl preview, who's honestly betting against the 49ers to get to the Super Bowl and probably win it, especially if they handle business against the Ravens the way that they've been doing against everybody else here over the last three or four weeks. So if somebody can slow down San Francisco, it's these guys. Oh my God, I can't wait to stop talking about it and watch it. It's the only Christmas present I need. I think I've said that already this week, but I really mean it. No offense, mom, dad, spare me the socks this year. I'm good with this. Let's jump back in time to Sunday afternoon for another one of the four matchups between teams that are currently part of the playoff field. This one, it's the Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings. Detroit going up to U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis to face their division rivals. A lot on the line for both teams, but especially the Lions. They are so close to wrapping up the NFC North title, a win, and they get it. They secure themselves the division and the home playoff game that comes with it. 
Vikings, for all their quarterback problems, for all the injuries, still right in the mix in the NFC playoff race. They're currently the sixth seed and actually have a big chance to make some hay. They played Detroit twice in the last three weeks. So a win here could make some awfully interesting conversations about the division title race. We'll see how it goes. Shannon Spake will be on the sideline in Minneapolis for this first of the two matchups. She joins me now to preview Lions Vikings. All right, Shannon, you know, typically when a team gets to 10 wins, you kind of start aiming a little bit higher. You know, you start thinking about the postseason and and what comes beyond that. But for a team that hasn't won a division title since 1993, I think the the chance to clinch that this weekend, what's your sense from, from talking to Dan Campbell and some of the guys with this Lions organization about what it would mean for this team specifically to pull that off? It's very interesting that, you know, we just, we were talking to Jared Goff earlier today and, and you guys may have read this, uh, these quotes that he said, but he said, you know, I understand the history of what's happened over the last 30 years. I get it, but we're the 2023 Detroit Lions. We can't make up for everything that's happened in the past. We just go have to go out and do uh, for this team and for this group. And you have to think like, it's so cool to see what they've done because Dan Campbell came in right? He had a vision. We saw it on hard knocks. We saw it play out. We saw the ups and the downs. We saw the pain and how badly he wanted it for his group. We saw Aiden Hutchinson come in as a rookie and, and do what he was able to do early on. We saw Jared Goff get let go from the Rams, come over to the Lions, which as we know, I mean, the Lions have had this, um, I mean, they're, they're, they are what they are. I mean, for 30 years, they've broken the hearts of Lions fans. I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan. I know exactly how they feel and exactly what they've gone through. Um, and now they're doing it and they're doing it because of the group of people that are in that locker room and because of Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn and the fact that they had a belief. And it's been really cool to see when I watched that hard knocks uh, a couple of years ago, I just remember thinking how likable the group was and how much you wanted to see them do well because they were so likable. And it's been fun to watch. And I know lion fans, are really excited. I've got some friends who are fans of the Detroit Lions. And uh, again, growing up a Miami Dolphins fan, you, you sympathize with what they've gone through over the last uh, three decades. I can imagine. Yeah. And I mean, ironic, I think that these two teams are kind of going <laughs> through a similar moment together, you know, but I'm so with that in mind, I just I think it's a it's an it's a very interesting place to be because again, like you want to celebrate this and and look like the line on the Lions heading into this was like, whoa, hey, we're putting a lot of expectations on this team that has accomplished a whole lot, and they have, I mean, they have delivered on the hype, but there is still a fair amount left for them to do. How do you think they kind of balance being proud of what they've accomplished while knowing that hey, that's not the end goal either? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. What you just said. It's like, we haven't done anything yet. You know, like we've got to go out, we've got to win the North. And then that's not where we want to end. We want to go to the playoffs. We want to go to a Super Bowl. That's the end game for all of these teams every single year. And I really get the sense that they're living in the moment. I don't think that they're celebrating this. Jared Goff said uh, when we talked to him that this is just a check mark. This is the, the next check mark that we have to do as a team. And I think as a as a an outsider as a fan base, it's you ask those questions. How much do we believe in this team? And that question comes from thirty years 
of being disappointed 30 years of not seeing it happen and you almost have to be proven hey we can do this before you stop not believing in what a team can do one guy that i i think is it's interesting that he's he's new to the lions this would be sam laporta he's also new to the tight end position so this is a franchise that hasn't won a whole lot well sam shows up and they're winning plenty it's a position that's really hard to transition to in the NFL and he shows up and makes it look easy. What's your, what's your impression of, of Sam Laporta and the season that he's having? Well, I think Iowa and coach Ferentz need, need to be applauded for <laughs> the tight ends that they develop in that program. It's funny. I talked to Sam on the phone. What a great young man to have a conversation with him you just you can tell that he's doing things the right way and talking to his teammates a lot of them say yes he is a rookie yes he is young but there's a lot of things that he does that 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 you go gosh can't believe he's a rookie. Creating separation is one of them. And he said, you know, as far as he played wide receiver in high school and that skill set, he told me definitely contributed to what he's able to do in terms of route running. But I think it's the blocking. I think that's the thing that a lot of tight ends, you have to be okay with physical contact. You hear George Kittle talk about his most favorite thing in the world is to move a man from one place to the other, you know, against his will or, or without, you know, whatever. I mean, he's a monster, pancaking, all this stuff. And I think the the physical contact and the blocking is something that you really hear people say he's more elevated and elite in than your typical rookie. And and he did give a lot of credit to the Iowa program. You know, it's a pro style defense, def, uh, pro style offense and defense that's they run there. And Coach Ferentz, he told me, really kind of molds them for their future. And so I do think it starts there. And listen, he's got T.J. Hawkinson, who you know obviously plays for the Vikings was he told me was the guy who brought him on his recruiting trip he was the guy who hosted him when he went he's got the george kittles he has such great access to some of these great tight ends who not only know how to play the game but know how to navigate it from a pro level and i think that's a huge component in a young player's growth is having guys like that to lean on and to watch you mentioned talking to aaron glenn and it, it's been it's been dark times a little bit, at least prior to last week for the Detroit defense and some of the things they've gone through. But all of a sudden, I'm feeling the optimism. I mean, they hold they hold Denver to less than 20 a week ago. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is expected back. Where what, what sense did you get from Aaron Glenn of, you know, I mean, like I said, it, it's been a rough few weeks for these guys. Does he see it kind of turning around here in the final three games? Well, they better, if, if it's not going to be turned around this weekend, they better figure it out because they've got a guy um, that's pretty good taking the top off defense and number 18, Justin Jefferson, and they know what a challenge he's going to be. Not only that, TJ Hawkinson, right? Alexander Madison. I mean, all of these guys, Jordan Anderson, who's done some great things early on. You can't double everyone, right? <laughs> There's only one or two guys that you can take out of it. And then they've got so many other weapons, the Vikings, on that offense. And so, uh, you know, yes, it's not um, Kirk Cousins that's running this offense. It's Nick Mullins, and they've kind of gone back and forth. Maybe Justin isn't 100%. Is he? Isn't he? But this is still a dynamic offense. And we're at home. They're at home, right? I mean, it's going to be a whiteout. It's going to be loud. Uh, one of the players, you I mean, listen, these were, they, they know what the Detroit Lions want to come in and take from them, which is the division that they've won, right? And so I don't think this is not going to be 
this is going to be a real test for Aaron Glenn and this defense, a real test because these guys fly around. They are dynamic. There's a lot of weapons. They can, they can hurt you in a lot of different places. I'm glad you mentioned Kirk cousins. Cause correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you were on the sideline when Kirk went down against Green I was, Bay. I was, I had done a sit down interview with him earlier that week as well, which was so heartbreaking. It's which it doesn't it feel like it always happens that way, unfortunately, but I, I'm I'm curious. And I know as we're recording this, you haven't had a chance to to visit with the Vikings, but remembering that day and how bleak it feels when a when a QB one like Kirk Cousins goes down. I mean, what what's your impression of of the way Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings have kind of steered this ship? I mean, to be in a situation where they are still very much alive in the playoff race, despite that happening six, seven weeks ago. How impressive is that? Yeah, I mean, he's your guy, right? I mean, love him or hate him, because there's a lot of, I think, Kirk Cousin, you know, people who don't really care for Kirk Cousins for whatever reason. Uh, and I and it was so heartbreaking for me because he had done that quarterback show in the preseason and right. you know, felt like some people kind of got a sense of who he was and started to understand him in a different way, not just making assumptions and, and judging him for certain things. And then I did that sit down with him and I got so many people that reached out to me after that interview. Oh my God, I love him. He's awesome. He's what a great story. What a, you know, what a great guy, just and down to earth. And I'm like, yes, all of those things, all of those things. I, um, I, during COVID, we were in the front row, the front seat, right? We weren't allowed on the field as sideline reporters. So we did everything from the front row. And I remember uh, we would have to scream down to the PR person to ask like for the player post game that we were gonna interview, obviously from, you know, 30 yards away. And I had asked for Kirk and they had won, but they had won like, and I don't even remember which game this was. I could look back in my notes. So I asked for Kirk and I think that they hadn't gotten him the message in time. And he ran past me into the locker room and I was like, dang, you know, they brought someone else out. I did the interview. Well, I get to the airport, my phone rings and it's Kirk Cousins calling to apologize, telling me he was really sorry. He didn't realize that I had asked for him. He had already been, he was already back in the locker room, taken off his jersey by the time the message had gotten to him. And I think that says a lot about awareness outside of just this little bubble. Because I do triathlons, I do marathons. I know what it's like to be in the zone and you're not really kind of thinking about a lot besides what's right in front of you. And I thought that that was um, a really great gesture from another human to a human. And listen, what again, uh, in terms of playing and, and what he's done, I think, listen, he's, he, he I mean, I've seen him in practice throw a 70 yard bomb and drop it right in his wide receiver's hands. So I hope he comes back and plays again. I hope to see him playing at the Minnesota Vikings. He's a, he's a really good dude. I think, I think you're completely right. I think part of it was the TV show for sure. Yep. And, and he always has seemed like a very down to earth guy. And then on top of that, he was having a hell of a season before he got hurt. And I, I think, I think the court of public opinion has finally shifted in Kirk Cousins' favor. It's probably a few years. So. It's probably a, a, a few years too late, but I would say better late than never. Um, but what, there I mean, are some people who do not care for him at all, and they are not afraid to voice that opinion. And you know, you just kind of got to go. Why? Let's go. I mean, 
completely agreed. And, and whatever, whatever part of me was on the fence, if there was one, yeah, I mean, I binged that entire TV show and I was like, wow, the stuff this guy is doing, uh, is absolutely incredible. So I'm fascinated to see what happens there. Obviously. Yeah. It's a big storyline with Kirk's future when, when this season is eventually over, but the crazy thing is it's not the Vikings very much in play. And I, I agree with you. I think you look at this on paper and and maybe you expect it to be a fairly easy Lions win. I I'm not expecting that to be the case whatsoever, not in that building and not with the division to potentially at stake. So I'm I'm expecting a, a pretty entertaining one for you guys this weekend. Yeah, I mean Jared Goff and what they're doing offensively, I'm on Ross St. Brown and and all of those weapons that they have. It's it's pretty impressive and and we all know, right? You give Jared Goff enough time, but I think that's all quarterbacks. Like any quarterback who has plenty of time uh, will be able to to do what they need to do. And so that'll be key as well up front. I, you know, it's it's so it's I mean, you hear it every week. It's it's coach speak, right? It's like win win the line of scrimmage battle. Okay. No, it is really, I mean, win the line of scrimmage battle, right? Like win up front. You've got to have, you know, those offensive linemen and, and the defensive. I mean, you got to win up front. That, that's where the game starts and ends. It starts up front and the Detroit Lions might finish the day in front of the division with their first division title since 1993. Still sounds crazy to say. Shannon and Spake, I, I appreciate the time. I hope you have a great call. I hope you have a, a Merry Christmas. Best to you and yours. Thank you so much. And you know what the best part of this weekend is for me? What's that? Oh, <laughs> it's a dome. This time of the year, I'll take them as much as I can get them, you know? That is a valid point. I mean, if you're getting an NFC North game in December, yeah, at least it's Minnesota or, yeah. or maybe Detroit. But yeah, that's, that's a nice break for your holidays. Shannon, right. I appreciate it. <laughs> Take care. We don't just want to preview the games heading into this weekend. We also want to preview the lay of the land, give you an idea of what to expect. It's week 16, three games left to play. Every single game feels like it impacts the playoff race in some form or fashion. So with that in mind, we want to give you the playoff picture as it stands right now. What might happen this weekend? Who can clinch? Who can get eliminated? All that good type of stuff. We know going in, Four teams have already punched their ticket to the playoffs this season. That would be the 49ers, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Ravens. Those four spots taken, 10 spots left to go. And as many as three of them could be claimed this coming weekend. We just talked about it with Shannon Spake. We know about the Detroit Lions. They can wrap up their division, win the NFC North with a win in Minneapolis. That's all you have to do, not depending on anybody else. Just beat the Vikings and you are the NFC North champs would also, you know, bumping to 11 wins. It keeps the pressure on San Francisco and Philadelphia to keep winning playoff seating, still a possibility there. But as a lions fan starts with the division title, what, what a thrilling time to be a Detroit fan facing the, the likelihood of a first home playoff game since January of 1994. That's what's at stake as the lions host the, or excuse me, the lions travel to play the Vikings this season elsewhere over in the AFC, another team that can secure a playoff spot, not the division with a win, but the Miami dolphins can wrap up a playoff spot with a win against the Cowboys. Obviously not likely to be an easy game against Dallas, but if they get the win, it would give them consecutive playoff appearances for the first time since they made the postseason five straight years from 1997 to 2001. It's been 
lean for a lot of the last 20 years, but back-to-back playoff appearances would be a big deal for Mike McDaniel and his guys. And depending on results, Miami can clinch the division this weekend. If Buffalo somehow manages to lose to the LA chargers on Saturday night, Miami would win the division with a win. Not sure how realistic that is, but if you're a dolphins fan, hell yeah, you're a chargers fan for the time being at the very least. So playoff spot with a win, maybe with some help, a division title for Miami elsewhere in the AFC, the Kansas city chiefs also playing for a playoff spot. If they beat the Las Vegas Raiders on Christmas day, they are into the postseason for a ninth straight year. All they got to do beat Vegas on Monday at Arrowhead stadium, nine straight appearances in the postseason. Believe it or not, that would tie the second best postseason streak in league history. I can't believe, you know, it, it's easy to take the chiefs dominance for granted. And then you realize that they're already in historical territory in a lot of ways. Nine straight appearances would tie Dallas and Indianapolis. The Cowboys made the postseason nine straight years from 1975 to 1983. The Indianapolis Colts did it with Peyton Manning from 2002 to 2010. And it would put them a step closer to actual NFL history. The league record for consecutive postseason trips is New England's mark of 11, which they did from 2009 to 2019 with Tom Brady. That's a hell of a lot, but you get to nine, you're only two more years of playoff appearances from getting to that mark with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. I've got to like the chief's odds of tying or even beating that record. Like I said, the guy's still in his twenties. It's, it feels early to think about legacy stuff until you realize how much the chiefs have already accomplished. If I had to guess they're going to win this game and they will lock down that playoff berth on Monday afternoon easy to be critical of the chiefs. They definitely haven't looked as great as you would expect really at any point this season, but Patrick Mahomes is 30 and four against the AFC West for his career. He's 10 and one against the Raiders. Like I said, I, I hate to call it a formality, but this is a game that the chiefs should win. I guess if you're a Raider fan, maybe you find hope in the fact that your only win against Patrick Mahomes came at Arrowhead stadium. So you know, crazier things have happened, I guess, but I just don't see it. Chiefs can lock up the playoff spot with the win. It would also mathematically eliminate the Raiders from the postseason, And that's another thing I want to get into. It's not just win and in scenarios. There are also several teams that are quite literally playing for their playoff lives teams that, as you might expect, not having the best seasons. One of them, the Las Vegas Raiders, a loss to Kansas city. You're done for the year. Raiders aren't the only team in that situation. There are actually several teams now playing for their playoff lives. It's Las Vegas. It's also the LA chargers. They host the bills on Saturday. A loss would end their season. Mathematically can't say it looks great for Easton stick and the boys going against the red hot bills. A loss would eliminate them though. So see how that goes. And a couple more teams that are now on the chopping block after the LA Rams big win against new Orleans because of tiebreakers and all that percentage stuff that I don't really understand. The Rams win means that the Chicago bears and the New York giants would both be eliminated from the postseason with a loss bears hosting the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. And the giants are traveling down the interstate to face the Philadelphia Eagles on Christmas day. If either one of those teams loses you're officially talking about draft picks, what you might potentially do at quarterback 
all that fun stuff. So by my math, that's four teams that can be eliminated from the playoffs with a loss this weekend and three teams that get in with a win. Now, there are some more convoluted scenarios. There are some situations where a team is dependent on somebody else. The Cleveland Browns can get into the playoffs this weekend with a win and the right results in some other games. Personally, that stuff starts to hurt my head after a little while. I'm not so great with, with percentages and all these different scenarios hanging around in my head at the same time. So I'm trying to keep it basic here. Straightforward. Four teams out with a loss. Raiders, Chargers. Giants, Bears, three teams in with a win, no help required, Dolphins, Lions, and Chiefs. Whew, I think that just about takes care of everything for this weekend, though, of course, like I said, with, with the amount of impact that every game seems like it can have, we'll update this as we need to as we get through the weekend. I don't think a weekend has ever needed a hurry-up offense like Week 16. It's not just that it's the holidays or that there's a full slate of games. They're spaced out across three days, and there's multiple games on all of them. We got two games Saturday, a full slate Sunday, three games Monday on Christmas Day. It's a lot to keep track of. You're going to have family in town. Maybe you're the one traveling. Maybe you're going to multiple different holiday family gatherings. Maybe you've got to cook. How are you supposed to keep all this stuff straight? That's where we come in. We take you through. We call it the hurry up. Three and a half minutes dedicated to all the games we haven't previewed yet. Give you something heading into the weekend. I'll just say this now. If you're still alive in fantasy, three days of games, two of them on Saturday, please don't lose in the fantasy playoffs because you forgot to take a Cincinnati Bengal out of your lineup or because you forgot to put a Buffalo Bill into your lineup. I'm telling you right now, don't be that person. All right, you've been sufficiently warned. We'll now take you through the entire Christmas weekend slate, all the games we haven't gotten to yet. We'll get you on your way. My wonderful producers have the three and a half minutes on the clock. We will start Saturday afternoon with the Bengals at the Steelers. It's really weird to remember that the Jake Browning era started against Pittsburgh and it went really poorly since he only scored 10 points in that game. And in the three cents, they've been averaging more than 30 per outing wild turnaround for Jake Browning. All of that said, I just, my spidey sense is tingling here. It's division football. Mike Tomlin's guys have their backs to the wall. The vibes are bad in Pittsburgh. Jamar chase looking like he'll be out for Cincinnati. I just, I don't know how, I don't know why Mason Rudolph starting. I'm going to pick Mike Tomlin to spring the upset. Cause that's the type of thing that he does moving on to the bills at the chargers right here in Los Angeles. Not going to overthink this one. If the bills find a way to blow this, it replaces Atlanta's loss to Carolina as the worst loss of the season. Can't let it happen. I don't think they will Colts at the Falcons trend for week 16 is that there's a lot of flawed teams going on the road in big situations. And I just have a feeling it's going to lead to some wild results. Taylor Heineke starting for Atlanta. He's not consistent, but I think he's due for a Taylor Heineke magic sort of game. I like the Falcons to find a way, even though the Colts are the playoff team, I'll take the Falcons at home commanders at jets on the downside. Jets are down bad because Aaron Rodgers got hurt. But on the plus side, they get to keep that first round pick. And it looks like it's going to be a good one after they're done losing to the commanders. I think the jets will be in the top five range by the end of the weekend. Seahawks at Titans Seahawks. Be so careful. Be so very careful. Seahawks. The vibes are good. The confidence is sky high. After you beat Philly playoff trains back on track, just, just be careful. 
That's all I'll say. Tennessee is five and six as an underdog this year, and they have outright beaten the Chargers, Bengals, Falcons, and Dolphins as underdogs. This is what they do. They will punish you for overlooking them. I will take Seattle to win, but I really don't feel good about it. Packers at Panthers jokes about green Bay's defense, right? Themselves at this point. And I get it. I get why Packers fans are joking about Carolina running up yards on them. It won't happen. Green Bay is a good team. They'll win this by a touchdown or more. I like the Packers Browns at Texans, man. This is a juicier game. If CJ Stroud's healthy looking like that won't be the case. I don't trust the Texans to score more than 17 without him. And I'm not sure that's enough. I'll take the Browns Jags at bucks, two teams. I like two teams. I want to trust. It's a big one. Playoff implications on both sides. If Trevor Lawrence plays, I like the Jags, but it's not looking likely as we record this, I will take the bake show to keep it rolling in Tampa Bay Cardinals at bears. Strange truth of the matter is that the bears have been playing solid football for a month. They're a better team. Kyler Murray is probably the best player on the field. The bears are a better team. I'll take the bears at home Patriots at Broncos. This is where I'm going to tell you, go spend time with the family. If maybe put this on in the background on Christmas Eve night, but you don't need to be locked into this. I'll take the Broncos to win. And if they don't, Sean Payton's going to lose a lot of that goodwill. He built up finishing it off the Christmas game. We haven't talked about the giants at the Eagles. It's easy to dunk on the Eagles right now. I get it. They deserve a lot of that criticism. They might be flawed. They're still a really good team. Despite their run, the giants are not. I think Philly wins this game by 17 points. And if they don't, we've got some real deal problems to discuss coming out of Christmas weekend. And I got in under the buzzer, man, I'm getting better at this. That does it for our week 16 preview. Next time we talk to y'all, we'll be right in the middle of the holiday. We will be here to cover everything that happens over the weekend. So if you're traveling Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we will have content for you. We'll be back on on Monday and Tuesday to, to recap everything that happened. Obviously, so much on the line in week 16. Until then, I hope you are having the most wonderful holiday season. Hope you get to spend it with people you care about. I will catch y'all soon i guess christmas eve christmas day i don't know we'll figure it out but we'll be here for you go check us out on spotify subscribe on apple Podcasts, youtube you know subscribe to the youtube channel please happy holidays merry christmas we'll talk to you real soon